0: All right, well, we are finishing up the book of Colossians this morning, and uh, we are in chapter 4, and we are looking at some people that Paul is wanting to recognize. You know, Paul wasn't just deep uh, theologically, but Paul was deep relationally as well. I mean, people... Were important. God's people were important in His life, and uh, in this passage of Scripture, we're going to see uh, nine of those individuals this morning. But uh, if you read the New Testament, you read Paul's letters. Um, there are uh, over a hundred people who are mentioned in Paul's letters. If you go to Romans chapter sixteen. Uh, there are 26 names mentioned in Romans chapter uh, 16. And so what we learn and glean from Paul's life is that Paul is well connected relationally. Uh, he knows how important teamwork is when it comes to accomplishing uh, the Great Commission. We are not to live this Christian life in at isolation church. We are to live this Christian life in connection, in connecting with other people in the body of Christ. And Christ wants you, and He wants me, He wants us to be growing in our love and knowledge of who Christ is, and that's to take place in community. It's not to take place in isolation. Uh, in your life group this week, you're going to be looking at the Ephesians chapters 3 and 14, and 3 chapters 3 and 4. And in those chapters, Paul's conveying a lot of things, and it's all in community. And so if you're not connected this morning, or you know, if a community stresses you out, if you're kind of an introvert, uh I understand that it's okay to be an introvert. But even introverts need to be connected. And God wants to use introverts. But in order for God to use you, it's in community. It's being aware of the needs around us that you can get involved. And so teamwork is the biblical way of learning and doing and applying the truths to our life and ministry. Teamwork is essential. I've got Zeus over here. He played for uh, Baylor Bears. Zeus, did you play football all by yourself? No. What would have happened if you had been the only guy on the field? Yeah absolutely not it took 11 guys on one side of the field to accomplish the game plan it takes a team and that is as much true in the local church i like what tom rayner said i was uh i listened in on him on facebook this week uh tom rayner is the president of uh, lifeway and he was leading a seminar and he said this he said um, People are five times more likely to get involved and remain in the church uh, five years or more if they're attending both church and a group. If you're just t- attending church and not a group, you're five times less likely to be in that church five years from now. God wants us to be in groups Uh, And the local church is important, but even in the local church, there are micro-churches. And the micro-churches is the small group. And that's really the the New Testament church. Okay, we're in this service today, and it's really hard to get to know somebody else in this service by staring at the back of their head. Okay? This is a monologue. And so it's just kind of a one-way conversation. We've worshipped together. Now we're going to look at the Word. We're going to pray and we're going to leave. And there's not been a whole lot of interaction. But it's in the life group. It's in the Sunday school class that you get to learn other people's names. And you pray for one another. And you ask questions. And you study the Word together. It's relationship. And that's what we glean from this text this morning as uh, Paul is going to m- be mentioning nine people. These are nine relationships that are important to Paul. Paul could not have accomplished his ministry without being in relationship with other people. God did mighty things in Paul's life, but Paul had to be relationally connected to others in the body. In God's kingdom. And so, here we are in Colossians chapter 4, and we are going to read the the rest of the uh, chapter. Tychicus, verse 7, will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that we, he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Again, Paul is in a Roman prison cell and has uh, sent these two people beyond uh, Tychus and and uh, Onesimus, verse 10, there is Aristic- Ar- Ar- Aristarchus, Aristarchus, I was practicing that name a lot this week, Aristarchus, okay, I think that's it, Aristarchus, thank you, my fellow prisoner greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you may have that you may stand mature, fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Aeropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers of Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you will also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be to you, be with you. Paul mentions eight individuals here that we're going to look at uh, briefly. There's two men he sent from this Roman prison cell, and that was Tychicus and Onesimus. Now, I might get Tychicus mixed up, so let's just call him Ty. Who who was Ty? Ty is mentioned five times in the New Testament, and the first time we see Ty's name is in Exodus chapter twenty, verse four. Um, Ty was uh, a person who um, was very loyal and dependable to Ty, to, uh, to uh, Ty was very loyal and dependable to Paul. In fact, uh the first time we see him in Acts chapter twenty, uh Paul's life is in danger. And uh Paul Ty knows what's lying ahead for Paul, and Ty is going to go with Paul. He is going to be uh by Paul's side. And this is again an individual who is very loyal, uh very dependable. Paul describes Ty as a brother a fellow minister, and a servant. And the only thing that we know about Ty is that he um, has delivered this letter to the Colossian church. He also delivered a letter to uh, Ephesus as well as a letter to um, uh, Philemon. But Ty was someone who could be trusted. I mean, he was Paul's, a postal carrier for these letters. If there was anybody Paul could depend on to, to ensure that these letters got to where they needed to be, it was going to be Tychicus. He could depend on Ty. You know, someone said this, that the greatness there is greatness in the smallest things done for Christ. Ty never wrote a letter. His name is mentioned five times in the New Testament, but Ty's responsibility was to ensure that those letters got to where they needed to get. And if it wasn't for Ty, we wouldn't have these letters in the New Testament today. You know, if it wasn't for Ty's in the local church, the local church wouldn't be who the church is today. And we've got a lot of ties in this church. There are a lot of ties that we could depend on. There's going to be a Monday night supper for the community. There's going to be people there who are going to be able to serve it. They can depend on, we can depend on them. Sound or PowerPoint for our services, there are people that we can depend on. Office staff. Who are there to help us get ready for each weekend service. They are dependable. And I could, I could list name after name in this service, but I would miss a lot of people. And I don't want to do that. But I just want to say to the ties here at Emmanuel Baptist Church who are faithful, I'm going to double your salary. No, thank you. Thank you for your willingness to serve, for being there week in and week out. You are valuable to the kingdom of God, and you are valuable to Emmanuel Baptist Church. We don't know a whole lot about Ty. Ty's name wasn't in headlines. Ty was behind the scenes. But Ty helped get the job done. And there are a lot of people here in our church who are just behind the scenes doing what God has called them to do. Now, there is one person I want to point out in particular because uh, this individual is going to be moving away in a few weeks. And we need to clone this individual. His name is Mike Crouch. Mike, where are you? You're, you're right over here. Raise your hand. Mike and Charlene, they're getting ready to move to Kingman, Arizona. Many of you probably don't know what Mike does in his church. He's retired from the base, but he's our, he's our IT guy in our church. He keeps our network running smoothly. He's a tie. I don't know who we're going to get to replace Ty, and and maybe you're here, and uh, you would be willing to help fill that role because uh, Kathy in the office right now is really concerned about <laughs> who's going to replace Mike because he is such a valu- valuable part at keeping our network running smoothly. But that's just one incident of of many ties in in our church. But tie was somebody that uh, Paul could depend on, and those letters got to where they needed to be. The second person that Paul was sending to this church at Colossae was Onesimus. Now, you've heard me mention Onesimus earlier in uh, this this letter um, because... uh, Onesimus was a runaway slave. Um, One of the letters that uh, these guys were carrying with them from the Roman prison cell was a letter to Philemon. Philemon had been the master, uh, the slave master of Onesimus. But before Onesimus came to Christ and before Onesimus had met Paul, Uh, Onesimus had stolen some money from Philemon and he fled. He fled Colossae and he apparently wound up in Rome or somewhere where Paul was preaching the gospel. And Onesimus gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. And Onesimus' life was transformed. It was changed. And God, by his grace, took a runaway slave whose life was just totally upside down and made him right side up. And God used Onesimus mightily for the kingdom. But Onesimus had a past. You know, there's some people here in this service, you have a past. And you're thinking to yourself, or the enemy has convinced you that because of your past God can't use you in a local church that my friend is a lie that is from the pit of hell and God wants to use your story if you have encountered the grace of God in your life like Onesimus has your life has been transformed you have a testimony and God wants to use you mightily God used Paul mightily. Paul had a past too, didn't he? He murdered a deacon. He persecuted Christians. And yet Paul encountered the grace of Jesus. Paul's life was transformed and God gave Paul a ministry that took the gospel across the known world at that time in the first century. God wants to use you. And think about this. Onesimus is a transformed slave. He, Paul never, not, doesn't uh, label him a slave anymore. Paul sees Onesimus as a brother in Christ. Onesimus bec- goes on to become a leader in the church. But who better than Onesimus to be able to minister to slaves that are in that church? Onesimus has a story of the grace of God and Onesimus has a testimony and he, better than anybody else, can take his story and minister God's grace and truth to to slaves who have been uh, harmed, um, who have been abused. And God wants to take your past, your story, and use it in other people's lives. Don't be ashamed. Allow your God to transform your story into a witness. Of who God wants to be in other people's lives. Do you you have divorce in your background? Who better to minister to uh, divorced people than individuals who've gone through that pain and have experienced the, the redemptive grace of God in their life? Blended families? Those are challenges. God could use you to help others who are going through difficulty. And so here we see uh, two men whom Paul sent to the Colossae church with these letters in Ty and Onesimus. And then we look at, uh, Paul mentions six men uh, who stayed with Paul. There's two men that he sent, and then there's six men who stayed um, to continue to be with Paul. Three were Jews and three were Gentiles. And it's interesting that uh, Paul uh, is taking people from all walks of life to build this team. You know, he's a testimony of the unity of Christ in the, in the body of Christ that Jews and Gentiles can get along with each other. There's no longer walls of division. If Christ comes into your life, we're, we're not segregated people groups anymore. We're one in the eyes of God. And I just want to encourage uh, you I'll let you know that uh, on September 15, September 15, that's going to be a Saturday morning, uh, Emmanuel is going to be uh, hosting a seminar entitled A Race for Unity. And I've talked to uh, Ed Thomas at uh, Victory Baptist. I've talked to Hector Molina with our Hispanic church. And we're going to be getting together with some other pastors in the community. But uh, this Race for Unity is led by a pastor in the San Diego um, area, Miles McPherson. Uh, you may not know Miles McPherson. He was a former, um, I believe, a wide receiver for the San Diego Chargers. Incredible communicator. Um, and he's going to be talking about uh, uh, the races, you know, different ethnic groups coming together, learning, you know, taking the time to hear one another's story and the church being a force for racial reconciliation uh, across our nation. You know, the N- NFL's starting up again in just uh, a few weeks. And you know um, the the conflict there is uh, of whether to stand or uh, kneel for uh, the national anthem. And, uh, and this topic of conversation is going to be on the front pages once again. You know, What better opportunity than there is for the church to take the lead to help encourage racial reconciliation uh, among God's people and across our nation. And so you pray for that seminar that we're going to be hosting on that Saturday. I am so looking forward to that and getting together with the other pastors and churches and hearing uh, one another's story. This is going to be uh, much needed for our community as well as our nation. So let's look. Uh, Paul mentions three Jews that stayed along with him. Uh, and the first is Aristarchus. And he's just identified as a fellow prisoner. Now, who is Aristarchus? The first time we see his name, I, th- I believe he's only mentioned uh, two or three times in the New Testament. But the first time we see him is in the book of Ephesus, or in the book of Acts, verses, uh, chapter 19, verses 28 through 41. But there's a riot that's taking place in Ephesus. And... Uh, <clears throat> And uh, there were some people with Paul that were telling Paul, Paul, do not go into this arena. This is not going to be good, good for you. We're going to take your place. We're going to go, go on your behalf. And one of the men who went was Aristarchus. Uh, Paul, uh, Aristarchus was one of those individuals who were willing to put their life on the line for a friend. Aristarchus was one of those individuals that you could depend on through thick or thin. He was a true friend. When other people were walking out of of Paul's life, Aristarchus was walking into his life. Aristarchus was was there through all the difficulties. We see Aristarchus in uh, Acts chapter 27 as Paul's getting on a boat. Uh, sailing to rome and uh, you know about that story there was a huge storm that took place and they ran shipwrecked and uh, you know that was the story of paul but it was also the story of aristarchus aristarchus was there through the most difficult of times and paul describes him as a fellow prisoner and it wasn't because he broke any laws. He was a prisoner. He voluntarily uh, became a fellow prisoner of Paul's. Paul, Aristarchus wanted to be there for Paul. And uh, tradition tells us, we don't see this in Scripture, but tradition says that uh, Aristarchus went to his own death along with Paul in Rome that's how important uh, aristarchus was to paul can you imagine you know all these things that have been that have happened in paul's life you know the persecution that took place in paul's life he wasn't alone he had a team team there that was encouraging him, taking some of the beings uh, for him, uh, consoling him. One of those was Aristarchus. Another Jew that Paul mentions in verse 10 is Mark. Uh, now, who is Mark? Uh, Mark is the uh, cousin of Barnabas. We first learn of Mark in Acts chapter 13. Mark accompanies Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. Somewhere along this journey, Mark quit. We're not sure why Mark quit, but uh, he decided to turn back. And that left a sour taste in in Paul's mouth. And when it came to uh, the next missionary journey in Acts chapter fifteen, um, Barnabas wants to take Mark, and Paul says no and so there's a conflict that occurs, and so Paul goes one way one way with with uh, Silas and Barnabas goes another way um, with with Mark John Mark, his cousin, and uh, there was 11 years of separation between Mark and Paul. But there was then a reconciliation that occurred. And uh, Paul forgave Mark. They worked things out. And uh, Mark became a ver- very valuable servant. Um, Mark became a very valuable servant to Paul. And if you look at Second Timothy chapter four, verse 11, um, at the end of Mark's, uh, Paul's life, Mark is there. Mark has become a very close friend. But Mark's life is a testimony of God's grace and second chances. God mightily used Mark. Where else have we learned of Mark? Or know of Mark? In the book of Mark, he wrote the second gospel of the New Testament. So here's this individual who quit on Paul's first missionary journey. There was a big conflict that occurred between Barnabas and Paul. But Barnabas took his cousin under his wing, gave Mark a second chance, and there was a story of reconciliation between Paul and Mark, and God used Mark to write the second book of the New Testament. Friend, God is the God of second chances. We have any quitters in this service this morning? You're ashamed of having turned your back on a commitment that you made. It doesn't have to be the end of your story. God's not done writing your story. God is the God of second chances. Maybe God wants to use mark 's life in your life to come back into relationship with him and into fellowship with with Jesus Christ. Have you had a falling out with someone? Maybe it hasn 't been eleven years, but it 's been some time. Keep your heart open to reconciliation. God restored the relationship between Paul and Mark, and there was a beautiful ending. The third Jew that we see in this text is in verse 11, and that's uh, Jesus, who also went by the name of justice. We don't know anything about justice. He probably... Uh, got tired of being associated with Jesus. Maybe he introduced himself for a period of time and said, Hi, I'm Jesus. And and people who didn't know justice, Oh, you're Jesus! Oh, man, do I have some things that you could do right now. And he would say, No, that's the wrong Jesus. Just call me justice. But Jesus was a popular name back then in the New Testament. But uh, he went uh, by justice as well. But he was obviously a comfort to Paul. He's in that Roman prison cell. In verse 11, Paul speaks of him as being a person of comfort to Paul. Then there's three Gentiles. Uh, the first Gentile we see is in verses 12 and 13. And his name is Epaphras. We've read of Epaphras before in Colossians chapter 1, but Epaphras is most likely the um, the founder, the church planter of not only Colosse, the church in Colossae, but uh, probably uh, Laodicea and Aeropolis as well, uh, in ver- chapter 4, verse 13. But what characterizes Epaphras' life is Prayer. He's the one guy on Paul's team who is a prayer warrior. And how we need those prayer warriors. You know, God has gifted some people in the church that they just ooze with the presence and the Spirit of God in how they pray because they just have that close um, relationship with Jesus Christ. And we we sense that this is a Epaphras. Paul says that uh, he he was been praying constantly, fervently, uh, personally, and sacrificially. We need those prayer warriors in our life. Epaphras was that to Paul. Second Gentile we 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 see here in this passage of scripture is Luke. Who's Luke? Luke is a Uh, Gentile, he's a medical doctor. And he's also the person who wrote the book of uh, Luke and Acts. And he's probably the only Gentile author in the Bible. But Luke was very important uh, to Paul. The first time we see Luke is in Acts chapter 20, verse 5, as he's heading to Jerusalem. And Luke was there to the very end, as Paul mentions his name in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 11. So in, in Paul's time of imprisonment, Luke is there, and he's, it's probably, uh, in that time of imprisonment with Paul, when Paul's in prison, that Luke takes the time to re- to write the book of Acts and hearing and recording Paul's story. But Luke was there. He accompanied Paul uh, uh, through his missionary journeys. It's interesting about Luke. You know, God had given Paul the ability to heal people. I mean, God worked through Paul's life to heal people supernaturally. But he still found it important to bring along with him a medical doctor. Isn't that interesting? You know, yes, God can heal uh, supernaturally. And yes, God can heal by using natural medicines that um, science develops today. But here, Luke was a medical doctor whom God was using. And uh, Luke sacrificed a lot. You know, Luke was a Greek, and in Greek culture, physicians were held in high regards. Luke probably could have made a lot of money and lived a very successful life. But Luke was touched by the gospel of God in his life. And Luke surrendered himself to Full-time missions, associating himself with Paul, going everywhere Paul went, and being a fellow servant and comfort to Paul. And God used Luke mightily. And then we see one other individual. We looked at men that Paul sent, other men that uh, stayed with Paul, and then the last person we see... Um, Who's with Paul is a man who strayed, and his name is Demas. Uh, Paul doesn't mention, only mentions his name here in um, Colossians chapter 4. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 10, Paul says that Demas quit. He says that he loved this present world more. Church, that needs to be a warning to all of us that it is possible to walk away from that relationship for that fellowship with Jesus Christ. We don't know anything about Demas's life other than the fact that Demas was with Paul. But he was really good at maintaining a religious facade. But life has a way of catching up to us. And that's what happened in Demas' life. And let that be a warning. That you and I, we need to guard our hearts. We need to stay close to Jesus. And we can't afford to pretend Demas was a pretender. You know, it's not—it's not important how you start the race. What's important is how you finish. And God wants you and I to be strong finishers for Him. And then finally, in this passage of Scripture, um, verse fifteen. Paul says, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Again, Paul's writing to a community. It's a church, but it's a, it's a house church. It's a small group. And uh, in Laodicea, uh, the, the, the hostess, the hospitality of this church in Laodicea, her name was N- Nympha. And she served an important pur- purpose. For those life groups that meet in homes and you're the hospitality person and people come over to your house and you've got to clean the house and uh, uh, be there to warmly receive everyone, I want to say thank you because I know that's a sacrifice and it's a blessing to everyone who's in that, that, that small group. You're a nympha. Thank you for what you do. Then he goes on, he writes into Archippus, see that you fulfill the mystery that you have received in the Lord. Who is Archippus? We're not sure, but he may be the son of Philemon and the pastor of the Colossae church. Epaphras founded the church, but he's with Paul, and it could be that Archippus is the pastor of this local church. But I want to say this again. Paul is writing to a community of believers. Paul is well connected to other believers in Christ. For Paul to accomplish all that he accomplished, he couldn't do it by himself. He needed support and the help of others. My friend, as as Paul is writing this church to Colossae, it's, he's writing it to a church. He's writing it to a community. And they are to learn these truths, and they are to grow in these truths, and they are to apply these, church, these truths in community. This is God's will for your life. And I want to say this, and I don't say it enough, But it is really important that you get into a micro church. What is a micro church? A small group. Whether it be Sunday morning in a Sunday school class or in a home group, a Sunday night life group. You need to be in community with others. And you need to be studying the word of God. Life groups this week are going to be working through Ephesians chapter 3. And four. And Paul writes these words to a community to learn, to do, and to live out among other brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the bread and butter of Emmanuel Baptist Church, the hub of our church. And Paul, through his life and through the Word of God and Jesus Christ, is compelling us, charging us to be connected to others. And so my question to you, are you in relationship with other believers in Christ? Are you connected to a community? Paul couldn't do what he did had he not had the support of his friends. And we all need that same kind of relationship with others. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for Paul's life, for the names that uh, he's mentioned here. Lord, these names are very unfamiliar to us, and aren't on any marquees, but God, they were very important to paul and Lord, I thank you for uh, the grace and the the resurrection the, re- the restoration that took place and some of these individuals' lives, like Onesimus and, and Mark, God, may you use their stories to encourage those in this service who are ashamed of their past or embarrassed. That, God, you want to use um, their deepest, darkest pain to be a blessing in a ministry in somebody else's life. You know who you are this morning. Let God use you to give you a ministry that, that nobody else can effectively have but you. there's a relationship that needs to be restored, like Paul and Mark, be open. Be open to getting back together and fixing what, what broke. The grace of God can do that. Lord, I pray for our life groups. I thank you for our life groups. And, Lord, we need more life groups. We need more opportunities for uh, new people to connect with each other. Lord, I thank you for, for Karen and her leadership in this ministry and how passionate she is about life groups and training our life group leaders. God, use our life groups to just build healthy godly relationships with one another in the body of Christ. Lord, help us. Help us to be in relationship with not only you, but with each other. This is your will for our life. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had together. In Jesus' name, Amen.